The next game that we have to talk about, we have Utah traveling on the road to the Swamp to take on the Florida Gators. This game is going to be played this Saturday, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on ESPN. Utah currently is a three-point favorite heading into this matchup. And this is the week one game that I am the most excited to watch because I've been going back and forth with a lot of my friends who are Florida Gators fans all off season about this game. I've also been going back and forth with many college football fans on Twitter and Twitter spaces talking about this matchup. Like you guys don't know how excited I am to give you guys my preview and prediction for this matchup. Now, a lot of casuals, I don't like using that word, but... You got to be labeled a casual for this. A lot of them keep saying that Utah doesn't have a chance to win this game because they're a Pac-12 team playing an SEC team. That logic doesn't make any sense to me. And if you are somebody who uses this logic, I'm sorry to tell you, you're a casual. Just because you play in a weak conference doesn't mean you're a bad team. There are plenty of bad conferences that have at least one great team. And I hate when people tie a team to a conference stigma. Like they say, just because you play in the Pac-12, you're not going to be able to be the SEC school. That doesn't make no sense to me. And if you are somebody who really watches college football and you've really watched Utah play, you would know that Utah isn't your normal run-of-the-mill Pac-12 school. They're not for Naz. This is a physical bruising football team like it doesn't matter if Florida wins or loses this game when they wake up Sunday morning they're going to be hurt and they're going to be sore because this Utah football team they're a bruising bunch of guys they get after it for four quarters and they wear and tear you down and when I look at Florida Florida has a really good defense From a talent standpoint, I like their front seven. I think that their defense is going to be improved this year. I think that their defense definitely was held back by Todd Grantham in his questionable play calling. So I definitely think that Florida's defense is going to be a lot better against the run this season compared to how they fared last year in 2021. And anytime you're trying to beat Utah, you have to be able to slow down that run game because Utah has a phenomenal stable of running backs. And their best running back is Tavion Thomas. He's the best running back in the Pac-12. And when you look at Utah's team, right, their offensive line is phenomenal. Their defensive line is really good. And a lot of people don't realize this, but... Utah returns 17 out of 22 starters from last year. So this isn't an experienced team that is traveling on the road to the swamp. And that's another thing. People keep saying, the casual fans out there, keep giving Florida the victory because they're playing in the swamp. That is one of the most casual things that a casual could say. How can you say, oh, this team's going to lose because they're playing on the road? I can understand if Utah was an inexperienced team with a first-year head coach. This isn't an experienced. This isn't an inexperienced team. This is a team that returned 17 starters from last season. This is a head coach in Kyle Winningham that is entering what his 15th or 16th season. 
I expect Utah the, to be prepared for this game. Now, of course, the heat is going to play a factor. The crowd noise is also going to play a factor as well. But at the same time, I don't think that Utah is going to lose this game strictly because they're playing in the swamp. There definitely is going to be some other factors for why Utah could lose this game. Okay, but I just think that there are a lot of casuals out there that have a bad narrative or they're giving Utah a bad narrative that isn't really true because this Utah football team to me is one of the most talented teams in college football. However, Vegas does have Utah as a three-point favorite for a reason because if Utah was really as good as a team as the AP poll thinks they are, they should at least be a 7-point or 10-point favorite in this matchup. But Florida is only a 3-point favorite for a reason. And I definitely think one of the reasons is because of Anthony Richardson. Now, if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you guys know that I have this theory called the superstar quarterback theory. And I believe that in college football, if you have a superstar quarterback, as long as you have an average to above average roster around them, He can win you at least seven, eight games. So when you look at Anthony Richardson, this is somebody who is labeled in a lot of mock drafts to be a top 10 pick next year. This is also somebody who showed a lot of potential last season, a lot of flashes of greatness. He is super athletic. The dude is insanely big, has a phenomenal arm. There isn't anything that Anthony Richardson can't do. So if Anthony Richardson is as good as what myself and many other people think that he is or he will be, I think that this game is going to be really close. On top of that, I think that there isn't a single game that Florida can't win as long as Anthony Richardson is playing at a elite level. Now, I think that Anthony Richardson is going to be really good in this game. You look at Utah, yeah, their defense is pretty good, at least when you look at their defensive line, but their secondary got got torched a couple of occasions. When you look at how they fared against Ohio State in the Rose Bowl, this secondary could not stop a soul. And you look at Florida's receiving core, right? I think their receiving core is a little bit underrated. Yes, they don't have insane depth like Alabama or Ohio State, but I think that Florida has a good group of three, four wide receivers who should have a pretty productive game because Utah secondary is pretty talented. Okay, you do have Clark Phillips, who is one of the best cornerbacks in the nation. You do have Jertravius Broughton, who is coming back fully healthy. So your cornerback position is pretty good, but at the same time, Justin Shorter, Xavier Henderson, they're also ballers as well. Then at safety, you have Cole Bishop, who returns. So Utah secondary should be majorly improved this season compared to how they performed last year, especially in that Rose Bowl against Ohio State. But anytime Utah plays an elite quarterback, their defense kind of struggles. You look at what the BYU quarterback did last season, You looked at what happened when they were matched up against C.J. Stroud in the Rose Bowl. Their secondary was prone to giving up big plays. And that's something that if you're a Utah Utes fan, you don't want to see. And I think the key for Utah 
for winning this game is the fact that you don't want to allow Anthony Richardson to get outside the pocket and start to create because that's when I think Anthony Richardson is at his best because anytime Anthony Richardson gets outside the pocket, the dude is just magic. And I don't want to say he has like this Tebow-esque thing to him, but it's kind of like every time he gets outside the pocket, he makes a big play. So if you're Utah, force him to win from inside the pocket. And that's not a slide against him saying that he's not good inside the pocket. I'm just saying that he makes more things happen when he's outside the pocket versus when he's inside the pocket. So force him to beat you from inside the pocket. And don't allow his legs to become a an equation in this game. Because you see, when you're trying to get off the field in third down situations, it's really hard to do that when you have a quarterback who's really good with his legs. Because then if you're in a third and seven or third and medium situation, yeah, you got everybody covered, but yet the quarterback's still picking up the first down of his legs. So if you're Utah, the pass rush has to be there. On top of that, I wonder how Utah's linebackers are going to play in this game. Because Utah's two starting linebackers, Sewell and Devin Lloyd, they're gone. They're now in the NFL now. So there are two... New expected starters for this game are linebacker Mamou Diabati, who is a transfer, ironically, from Florida, and then Lander Barton, who is a true freshman linebacker who was a top 100 player, according to 247, coming out of this past year's recruiting cycle. So Florida had a really good rushing attack last season, and I expect their ground game to be really effective this season. And you have a really good trio of running backs. You have Montreal Johnson, Naquan Wright, and Lorenzo Lingard, who had a phenomenal spring camp for Florida. So all three of those running backs are going to get some work in this game. On top of that, you have to account for what Anthony Richardson does on the ground as well. So I want to see how Mamoul Diabati and Lander Barton perform in this game because the defensive line I think is going to be really good it really just depends on how great the linebacker play is going to be when it comes to being able to slow down that Florida rushing attack and same thing can be said for you know Florida's linebackers you know I think that Florida has a very good group of linebackers but they weren't very good against the run last season now, of course, them having a new defensive coordinator not named Todd Grantham should hopefully elevate their play. But one thing that I definitely feel is a huge mismatch when you compare Utah's offense to Florida's defense is the tight end position. Okay, Utah has probably the second best tight end duo in college football, or the second best tight end room in the nation behind Georgia. The Utes have... Brent Keithy and Dalton Kincaid. Now, both of these two guys are going to be a major part of Utah's passing game this year. So for Florida, how are you going to be able to slow down these guys? Because these guys accounted for the majority of the passing attack last year for Utah. And if you can't slow neither one of these two players down, you're not going to have a lot of success slowing down Utah's offense on the defensive side of things. So how can Florida slow down these tight ends? Because honestly, I don't really think they're going to be able to. Because I don't really think they have great coverage linebackers. And you're not going to put a safety on either one of these guys. Because 
most safeties aren't really all that great when it comes to one-on-one coverage. And I don't really think that Florida has any safety on their roster that could man up any one of these tight ends one-on-one and win. And then another thing simply is due to the fact that, you know, you're not going to put a cornerback on these tight ends because most cornerbacks are going to be too small to match up with these tight ends who also are very physical as well. And they're also very good after the catch also. So I think that Utah has a big advantage when it comes to their tight ends going against Florida's defense. I don't really think that Florida is going to have a legitimate answer for how to slow down the combination of Kincaid and Keithy. Now, you look at Florida's wide receivers. I want to go back to their wide receivers. There, there was a wide receiver that I didn't mention when I gave my early thoughts on this game. A lot of Florida fans kept bringing it up. And this wide receiver was Ricky Parcells, who is a transfer from Arizona State. Now, this guy is a speed demon. This dude absolutely has some wills. He can run with the best of them. Many Florida fans feel like he's going to have a significant impact in this game. And there's been a lot of great reports about Purcell coming out of fall camp for Florida. And many people do expect him to have a role in this offense. However, you know, I look at Utah's secondary and the talent is there. And even though they weren't great last year in certain games, you got to remember the fact that Jurchavius Broughton only played in two games last season. He had his season cut short due to a season-ending injury. So he's going to be back fully healthy. So pretty much Utah's secondary is pretty much the closest thing to near strength as you can get. So I look at Florida's wide receivers, and I just wonder, like, yeah, this is a really good group, but at the same time, you know, Utah secondary should improve. So I wonder who's going to come out on the winning end of that matchup, the wide receivers of Florida or the Utah secondary. Now, when it comes to the defensive line of Utah versus the offensive line of Florida, Ladies and gentlemen, we may have a little bit of a stalemate because Florida's offensive line going into 2022 is probably the best it's been in a very long time. As a matter of fact, many Florida fans I've talked to consider this to be the best offensive line that the Gators have had since God knows when. And that's going to be major in this game because it's going to allow Florida to keep Anthony Richardson upright. And on top of that, it's going to allow them to create holes in the running game. So for Utah, this is a team that loves to run the ball down your throat and control time of possession. They want to keep your defense on the field, tire them out and keep your offense off the field. So if you're Florida, you can't afford to make too many mistakes when you're playing a team like Utah because you never know when you're going to touch the ball again. If you go three and out and let's say you give Utah the ball back with 12 minutes in the first quarter, you may not touch the ball again in the first quarter until the last four minutes. So if you're Florida, you have to make the most out of every single possession. And on top of that, you're going to need your offensive line to make sure that those big guys that Utah has up front are taken care of. And Utah is going to have to be able to make sure that they can have a couple of guys that can come off the bench and keep their starters fresh until the fourth quarter. Because anytime you're playing in the Florida Heat, death is always a huge issue. Now, you look at Florida's defensive line, 
a lot of my friends feel really confident in how Florida's defensive line is going to perform in this game. Now, I love their starters, okay? Brian Cox is one of my favorite players in college football. You also do have defensive tackle um, Gervin Dexter, who is one of the best D tackles in the SEC this season. So you have a good amount of talent up front. However, I know Florida has talent when it comes to their core starters, but I don't know how great their depth is going to be. Because if we're going to use the Florida Heat against Utah... We gotta you. We gotta have the same thing when it comes to Florida as well, because you can say, "Well, Jay, today practice in the Florida Heat." And listen, like it doesn't matter how much you practice in the Florida Heat. I mean, if you get hot, you get hot. Everybody gets fatigued. So, I know that Utah has a lot of depth when it comes to their defensive line, but I don't know if Florida has enough depth to keep their starters from getting fatigued before the fourth quarter. That's one thing that I do have a question mark when it comes to Florida's defense is definitely their depth when it comes to the D-line. Now, when it comes to Florida's cornerback position, um, I'm not, I don't really know how big of a factor is going to be simply for the fact that, yeah, Utah's a solid group of wide receivers, but the majority of their offense came from their tight ends in the past game. And one of their best wide receivers left for the NFL. So, um... I look at Florida's secondary in this game, and honestly, if they can find a way to slow down the tight ends of Utah, they have a very high chance of being able to shut down Utah's passing attack. And then when it comes to Utah's offense, you have Cam Rising, who may be one of the most underrated quarterbacks in college football. This is somebody who has a pretty decent arm, but at the same time, this dude is a better athlete than what you may think. And... A lot of Florida fans always say, well, Utah struggled early on last season. And yeah, Utah is prone to struggle early in the season. However, you got to remember, last season, Utah is a different team once Cam Rising became the quarterback. Okay, this was a team that barely lost once Cam Rising took over the reins as the starters. So I look at Utah and I look at this team and the experience that they have. I think they're going to be able to go on the road into the swamp and they're going to be able to come out alive. I think they're going to win this game. Now, I'm not expecting this to be a blowout. I do think that Florida is going to hang around in this game and this game is going to come down to the final minutes. But I do think that Utah wins this game 28 to 24 is my final prediction for this matchup because I really do see Florida winning this game. In upset fashion. However, I'm I'm going with Utah simply for the fact that I trust Kyle Winningham and his coaching staff. And I like the fact that they have a veteran team that only has a couple of new starters. So you're going to have a team that, yeah, the crowd noise may be super loud, but they're experienced. They're veterans. So you shouldn't be seeing a lot of false star penalties on the offensive line. You shouldn't see a team get rattled on the road, even though... Playing on the road in the Swamp is probably the biggest game that they're going to have on the road when it comes to crowd intensity all year. But I do think that this coaching staff and this veteran team, they're going to be able to overcome the obstacles of playing on the road in the Swamp. And I think that they're going to be able to get the win against Florida. So give me Utah the win outright, and I'm going to take them to cover. 
We have Oregon taking on Georgia. This game is going to be played this Saturday, 3.30 p.m. Eastern time on ABC. This also is going to be a neutral site game that will be played in Atlanta. Georgia currently is a 17-point favorite heading into this matchup. And this is going to be the first time that we've seen Georgia play since they defeated Alabama in the national championship game. Now, Anytime you have a team coming off a national championship win, you always ask yourself, could they suffer from a championship hangover? Also, Georgia lost a lot of talent from last year's championship team, especially on the defensive side of the football. And plus, their first game of the year is going to be against their former defensive coordinator and Dan Lanning, who now is the head coach of Oregon football. Now, some Oregon fans are going to say, JT, we got a really good chance to pull off the upset in this game because since Dan Lanning formerly was a defensive coordinator for Kirby Smart, he understands Kirby Smart's tendencies, what he likes to do. He's going to know Georgia's play calls on defense. And here's the thing with that statement. I don't agree with it, but at the same time, I don't 100% disagree with it. And the reason why I feel this way is because Dan Lanning being the defensive coordinator for Kirby Smart does mean that he's going to have more knowledge about Kirby Smart and Georgia's defense than another head coach who didn't serve as Kirby Smart's defensive coordinator. So, of course, he's going to be familiar with things that Kirby Smart likes to do in certain situations when Georgia likes to send pressure or send guys back into coverage. But at the same time, Kirby Smart isn't a fool. He's not a novice. He obviously is going to know that, you know, Dan Lanning does have a good understanding of certain things when it comes to his defense. So he's going to make some changes. He's going to throw in some new wrinkles to throw him off. And plus, George is going to have a new defensive coordinator who also is going to have a little bit of an imprint on this defense this season. So I don't think that... If Oregon wins this game, it's going to be because Dan Lanning knew what was coming from Kirby Smart's defense because Kirby Smart being the head coach that he is, one of the best in college football, he's not simply going to allow Dan Lanning to read everything and call out everything that he's doing defensively. He's going to throw in a lot of new wrinkles. And then when it comes to the hand signals and the play calling like you can always change that up over the course of the offseason so I do think that Dan Lanning is going to be a little bit better prepared when you think of teams that normally play Georgia but at the same time when it comes to beating a team like Georgia you have to be able to handle yourself up front on the line of scrimmage both sides offensive line and defensive line Oregon happens to return all five starters on the offensive line from last season. I think that Oregon has a top 10 offensive line going into this year. And I think that their defensive line should be pretty good this season. But you do have some concerns when it comes to the defense. At least when you look at the secondary. The secondary probably was the worst part of this defense in 2021 they gave up way too many big plays and even when you look at the defensive line sometimes there were a couple of games when Oregon just got outmanned and they were just out physical a good example would be the two losses against Utah so for Dan Lanning 
I do expect the defense to improve, but how improved would the defense be? Because Oregon wasn't good when it came to getting pressure on the quarterback last season. They weren't good getting off the field in third down situations, and they weren't really all that great getting off the field in the red zone either. So those are some questions that I do have about Oregon's defense. Oregon fans are going to be like, our defense is going to be really good, better than what it was last year. But at the same time, we don't know that yet. We have to see. And even if Oregon's defense is improved compared to what it was in 2021, you don't know when that improvement is going to show up. Because for all we know, Oregon's defense could still struggle come week one. Because anytime you have a new coaching staff, sometimes it would take, a little bit of time for everybody to get locked in. It will take a while for everything to start to match the chemistry, you know, the timing of certain things. So I just think when you have a inexperienced coaching staff or a new head coach, you do have to look out for those things. I don't think that the improvement may be noticeable right away. It may take Oregon a couple of weeks for their defense to start hitting, hitting their stride. And then when you look at, Georgia's offense I mean Georgia has one of the most talented offenses in college football like yeah they did lose a talented wide receiver to Alabama in the transfer portal you did lose two talented running backs in Zamir White James Cook to the NFL but you still do have probably the best offensive line in college football you do have Sir Stetson Bennett who returns at quarterback and you have an insane group of tight ends this is probably the best tight end room that I have seen in the history of college college football you got Brock Bowers Darnell Washington and Arik Gilbert who Arik Gilbert isn't really a tight end mainly he's like a wide receiver tight end hybrid so we're probably going to see him lined up at tight end and wide receiver a good amount he's going to be splitting time between those two positions and then for Oregon how are you going to slow down the time to group of tight ends that they have? Well, you're not really going to put a defensive back on them because most of the time a safety isn't really going to be all that great in man coverage. And then you're not going to put a cornerback on them because corners really aren't really physical enough to guard tight ends. And then most linebackers aren't really all that great to cover a tight end in one-on-one situations or really all that great in coverage or don't really have the athleticism to keep up with the majority of tight ends out there. But Oregon's linebackers are different, though. They're not your traditional linebackers that aren't athletic enough to cover against tight ends. Like, Justin Flo and Noel Sewell may be the best linebacker duo in college football. And Justin Flo, when he's healthy, is one of the most insanely athletically gifted football players in America. I'm not just saying linebackers, I'm saying football players because this is a freak of nature. So if Oregon's going to win this game, they need phenomenal performances out of their two superstar linebackers. You need these guys to be able to come down, stop the run. You also need them to be able to handle their own end coverage against this phenomenal group of tight ends. And it's not like they need them to come in and shut down Brock Bowers and Darnell Washington and Arik Gilbert because obviously you're not going to really be able to shut down this group, but you can be able to slow down, you know, what they do. You may be able to slow them down, kind of minimize the impact that they have on the game in a sense, but one of these guys is going to get theirs. And then when you look at Oregon's offense, right? So of course, Dan Lanning does have a good, 
knowledge of Kirby Smart's defense. But at the same time, does Oregon talent-wise have enough to put points up on the board in this game? Now, I like Bo Nix, okay? I used to be a big critic of Bo Nix, but after how I saw him perform last year for Auburn, I started to come around on Bo Nix a little bit. And I think that Bo Nix could have a pretty good performance in this game. This is somebody whose accuracy has improved over time. He does have really good mobility. He can extend plays. And plus, Oregon has a pretty good group of running backs. So I think that Bo Nix is going to be big for Oregon on the ground. Now, when it comes to him as a passer in this game, I do think that there could be some struggles. And not really because of Bo Nix, but because of the wide receiver position. Because Oregon has a young and unproven group of wide receivers that happens to be insanely talented, right? And they also do have a couple of transfers in here who are going to have a little bit of a factor in the passing game as well. But most of the wide receivers who are expected to have large contributions for Oregon this year don't really have a lot of experience. And when you're going against Georgia... You got to be able to have guys who you know can make plays when you need them to make plays. You got to have a guy on third down who you can look to and trust to get the job done and move the chains. And even though Oregon's wide receiver position and their passing game is going against a Georgia defense or Georgia secondary that also is trying to find themselves when it comes to their secondary, because... Georgia lost a lot on defense, okay? So there are going to be some guys who come in and play at a very high level, and there's going to be some guys who may have to, you know, either get benched or you may have to have a little bit of a rotation. But when you look at that secondary for Georgia, you do have Keely Ringo, Tyke Smith there, but there's going to be some new faces in that secondary. You wonder how the communication is going to be, and you wonder how those guys are going to perform because these wide receivers at Oregon have or that they are going to be putting on the field even though they're young and they don't have a lot of experience these wide receivers were highly touted coming out of high school these are four five-star guys who they're going to be having at wide receiver this year and these guys can really go they can play so it may take them a while to get into the rhythm of things and they may struggle with chemistry and timing in this game with this being week one however Also, don't be surprised if you see a couple of these wide receivers for Oregon going off and doing some work against Georgia secondary. Now, when I look at Oregon, if I had to give you guys a couple of keys that Oregon needed to get to win this victory, one of the first keys has to be, first of all, they have to be able to come away with touchdowns in the red zone, okay? That has to be one of the biggest keys to victory for Oregon, simply for the fact that anytime you're playing a team like Georgia, you can't afford to settle for three. You have to be able to put seven every single time you get the opportunity to. Another thing is that you don't need unnecessary penalties, okay? This is week one, so of course you're going to have, you know, some some. Some penalties there that are just going to be because you're a little bit rusty. You haven't been playing football for a while. But you don't want no unnecessary penalties like roughing the passer or unnecessary roughness. Just no dumb penalties. And then on top of that, you got to make sure that you don't find yourself in a situation where you become one-dimensional. 
If you're Oregon, you got to make sure that you never find yourself down no more than 10 points in this game. Because the moment Georgia goes up three touchdowns in this game, I think that's where you can put the nail in the coffin. Because right now, I don't think that Oregon's offense with this being week one is going to be clicking on all cylinders. Even this whole entire team. Now, I could be wrong. Oregon could come out and play like a whole group of veterans. But... I do think that with them playing Georgia and Georgia being the football factory that they are, they don't rebuild. They just reload. I simply just think that with Oregon, you have to wonder if it's going to take them a while to get going in this game. And if they do get going, will it be a case of too little, too late? So if you're a Georgia fan, your keys to winning this game, don't lose the turnover battle. And on top of that, you want to put pressure on Oregon secondary right out the gate. Okay, if I'm Kirby Smart and I'm his offensive coordinator, I'm airing it out right out the gate because I want to see just how improved this Oregon secondary because Oregon secondary was really not good last season. And Dan Lanning can come in, have you work a little bit of magic, but your defense sometimes won't go from what it was being bad to just good in one season or maybe just one off season. You get what I'm saying? Even then, if I'm Georgia, I'm just taking shots to test Oregon secondary. I just want their secondary to show me that they can stop and a freak athlete like a Reed Gilbert or Brock Bowers going down the field 40, 30 yards. I want to see Georgia tried to push the issue in the passing game out the gate and test that secondary. Now, you know, that may not happen, but I just want to see Georgia come out the gate on fire. I don't want to see one or two quarters of Georgia struggling and them trying to get into rhythm because of the offseason. I want to see Georgia come in here and have success right away on both sides of the football. So I'm going to take Georgia to win this game. But I do think that Oregon will cover. Now, if Oregon gets blown out and they don't cover, then I'll be shocked. Because I do think that Oregon has a really good football team. They do have some young players here and there. But I do think that these are young players that definitely are going to be really good and really productive for Oregon football in 2022. However, just with having a new coaching staff and having those new young guys in their week one, I don't know if they're going to have the right chemistry and timing right away to just have good enough performances to help pull off the upset against Georgia. And then on top of that, Georgia is just the better team, which isn't just a guaranteed victory because there are plenty of times where the better team doesn't always win in college football. But I just think with Georgia, I think a lot of people are overlooking just how talented this team is. Yeah, they may not be as talented as what last year's team was, but this Georgia team has a lot of freaks on both sides of the football. And I think for Oregon, you know, I just have, I, I just don't really have a lot of confidence that this team is going to be ready to play the way you need a team ready to play when it comes to facing off against a powerhouse program like a Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State week one. When you're facing a team like Alabama, Ohio State, or Georgia week one, like you need to have a coaching staff that you know has a little bit of experience under their belt. You also need to make sure that 
Most of the time, you have a team that doesn't have a lot of veterans. Well, let me say, let me not say that, but you want to have a team that has a lot of veterans and not a lot of guys who are getting their first bit of game action. You want to most of the time have a already proven team that has a lot of returning starters. And for Oregon, you know, I just don't know if their defense is going to be improved right out the gate, which is why I'm going to take Georgia to win this game. 34 to 20 is my final score prediction for this matchup. The last game that we have to talk about on this episode of the podcast, we have Notre Dame traveling on the road to take on Ohio State. This game is going to be played this Saturday, 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time on ABC. Ohio State currently is a 17-point favorite entering this matchup. Now, I'm going to be honest with you guys. I feel like a lot of people are overlooking Notre Dame. And I can understand why a lot of people are rolling their eyes saying, here we go, JT. Are you one of those people drinking the Kool-Aid on Notre Dame? And I'm not. But I do think that Notre Dame is a top 10 team talent-wise. Because if you really look at this roster top to bottom, this is probably the best Notre Dame team that me personally, I've seen in the last decade. They have... In my opinion, one of the best offensive lines in college football heading into this season. They have a really good defensive line that not only is good against the run, but they can get pressure on the quarterback. However, there's a reason why Ohio State is a 17-point favorite in this game. And it's not because I don't think Notre Dame is a talented football team, but it's simply for the fact that Ohio State is just simply a more talented football team. And I think that the two most talented teams in college football this season are Alabama and Ohio State. So when you look at Notre Dame, it's going to take some giant performances all the way around for them to be able to pull off this upset. But if there is a path for an upset, what is it for Notre Dame? What does Notre Dame have to do to at least keep this game close into the fourth quarter? Well, the first thing that has to happen is that they need a great performance from their new starting quarterback, Tyler Buckner. Now, Tyler Buckner is making his first ever collegiate start for Notre Dame. But this is somebody who has gotten a little bit of in-game action. So it's not like he hasn't gotten any playing time at all. But this is his first ever true start. And he has to make it on the road in a hostile environment against Ohio State. So if you are Tyler Buckner, you are somebody who has a very good arm. You're a phenomenal athlete. And as a matter of fact... You probably could say that Tyler Buckner is the most talented quarterback that Notre Dame has had in a very long time. Like, this is somebody who, in my opinion, is a true dual-threat quarterback. He can make all the throws. I think he has pretty good accuracy. And if Notre Dame's going to win this game, he pretty much has to have a Heisman kind of performance because Notre Dame's offensive line is going to give him time to throw the football. It really just comes down to him making accurate throws on time and making good decisions with the football. Because oftentimes, when you have a young quarterback that's playing on the road in an environment like this, 
they pressed the issue too much and they tried to do too much. So for Tyler Buckner, he has to let the game come to him. And it's also going to be on offensive coordinator Tommy Reese to make sure that he gets Tyler Buckner settled into this game. And that's going to be really hard to do because Ohio State has a new defensive coordinator who is Jim Knowles. Now, for those of you guys who don't really keep up with the coaching changes and the staff changes, Jim Knowles was the defensive coordinator of Oklahoma State last season. And Oklahoma State also had a really good defense, a historically good defense. So he comes over to Ohio State, a team that struggled on the defense side of the football a lot. And many Ohio State fans are expecting immediate improvement right away from Jim Knowles. So I think that the battle between offensive coordinator for Notre Dame, Tommy Reese, and defensive coordinator for Ohio State, Jim Knowles, is going to be something that many people aren't going to be keeping their eyes on, but it's going to be a chess match that I'm going to be watching. Now, another thing that Notre Dame has to do to win this game, outside of making sure that Tyler Buckner has a good performance and they allow him to get settled in and get hot early, is the fact that on the defensive side of the football, if you're Marcus Freeman, you don't want to allow a lot of big plays in the passing game. As a matter of fact, you can't allow any big plays in the passing game because Ohio State will absolutely crush you. Not just is Ohio State good at making good plays down the field vertically because they have C.J. Stroud and the most talented wide receiver group in all of college football this year with Jackson Smith and Marvin Harrison Jr. But they also have receivers who can all do damage to you after the catch so you got to make sure that you wrap up and you also got to make sure that you don't allow these wide receivers to burn you downfield and the only way I can really see Notre Dame slowing down Ohio State's passing attack is if their pass rush can hit home they need their star pass rusher Isaiah Foxy to have a monster game you remember the performance that Aiden Hutchinson had last season And I know a lot of Ohio State fans don't want to remember this, but they need that kind of performance out of Isaiah Foxy because this is somebody who I think has the potential to become a top 10 pick in the 2023 NFL draft. But for him to become a top 10 pick, he has to show out in games like this. And not just him, but the whole entire defensive line has to have a fantastic performance in this game if Notre Dame wants to be able to pull off the upset. Because listen, Notre Dame secondary is pretty good. But at the same time, pretty good isn't going to be enough to stop great when you have the kind of wide receivers that Ohio State has. So to help out that secondary, you got to have that pass rush going. And I think that C.J. Stroud is a really phenomenal quarterback. However, I do think that he can get rattled when you are able to get a couple of good hits on him. So You got to make sure that you can get pressure on him. And you don't really need to get sacks, really. You just got to get pressure. You just got to get some hits on him. You got to make him uncomfortable in the pocket because C.J. Stroud is a true pocket passer. Even though he does have some athleticism, he doesn't really use it all that much. So you got to get C.J. Stroud outside the pocket and you have to make him uncomfortable. And for that to happen, their pass rush has to be big for them tonight. Now... When you look at Notre Dame's offense, one thing that concerns me 
is their wide receiver position. Now, the wide receivers aren't bad. I just think that they're not great, okay? Lorenzo Styles, Jaden Thomas, Avery Davis are expected to be the three starters at receiver for Notre Dame. And when you're playing a team like Ohio State, like you have to be able to beat them through the air as well, not just on the ground. And for Jim Knowles, you know, him making his debut as DC for Ohio State, I expect him to be really aggressive. This is somebody who's known for having a very aggressive defense. And you have to wonder how Tyler Buckner is going to respond to, you know, such an aggressive defense in his first ever start. And I look at these wide receivers, they're all right, but I don't know. I'm, I'm just not really all that impressed with Notre Dame's receiving core. I do think that you do have a guy in Jaden Thomas who does have a lot of potential, but is he going to be able to come out and have a phenomenal game right away off the bat for Notre Dame? It's just that the wide receiver position, I think, when you're playing a team like Alabama or Georgia or Ohio State or Clemson, you got to beat them by having a good group of wide receivers. And I look at Notre Dame's receivers, they're not bad. I'm not trying to say they're crappy. I'm just saying that they're all right in terms of, you know, the talent level that they currently have. And I think that for Notre Dame, they don't need I right to win this game. They need great wide receiver play. Now, you do have Michael Mayer, who is one of the best tight ends in college football. He's definitely going to have a large workload when it comes to the passing game in this matchup but at the same time you need somebody other than him to step up so I'm trying to figure out who's going to be that other wide receiver who steps up for Notre Dame in this game because like I said I think their wide receiver position is solid but at the same time you need great if you're going to be able to pull off the upset against Ohio State so the team that I'm going to take to win this game obviously I'm going to take Ohio State to get the win here it's not that I think that Ohio State is just an overwhelmingly better team than Notre Dame because I do think that Notre Dame is really good up front in the trenches. However, it's the fact that they have a young quarterback going on the road against Ohio State in a really hostile environment. It's hard for me to see him having a kind of performance that Notre Dame needs for them to win this game. They need a Heisman-worthy performance for them to pull off this upset. And I know that the rushing attack is going to be there for Notre Dame. On top of that, you're going to have Buckner, who's also going to contribute on the ground. But at the same time, when it comes to me having faith in Tyler Buckner, being able to make big throws to either help Notre Dame win this game or to keep Notre Dame in this game, I don't know if he's going to be able to do it simply for the fact that I don't have the confidence in him yet. And I'm not saying that he's not going to be great. I think he's going to be really good. It's just the fact that this is his first ever start week one against Ohio State on the road. It's a really tough environment for any quarterback. So I don't know if he's going to be able to necessarily make the big throws needed for Notre Dame to pull off the upset. So I'm going to take Ohio State to win this game 38 to 24 is going to be my final score prediction for this matchup and i appreciate you guys for listening to this episode of the jt sports podcast remember that every video that's uploaded on the channel is available in audio format on every single podcasting platform apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, spotify Podcasts, wherever you get your podcast from the jt sports podcast is available